The Reality Podcast. Real conversations about life, love, and business. With me, Jason Ree. This is The Reality. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Reality Podcast in New York. And for my first New York episode, I have one of my favorite people, Cindy Trin, not Cynthia Trin. <laughs> not Cynthia. Cindy. Even though your email did say Cynthia. It's my legal name. It's her legal I go name. By Cindy. <laughs> it's by Cindy. Cindy Trin, who is an amazing photographer, activist, um, fellow raver. <laughs> we have a very deep history of getting into a lot of fun trouble together. This was like when we were in our teens. 2002. Oh my God. I looked back at some of the 2002. photos. 2002. Yeah. Oh my God. But what I'm trying to figure out is when, like how we actually met. And I think we met through Key Club. Yes. Well, it was like in high school, right? And we were at rival high schools. Yes. Tustin High yeah, versus Tustin High. Versus Hill High. Hill High. <laughs> and um, I think it was like key club events or something. Like I, I know that like it was some event that like where both of our high schools yeah. were present. I think it was like Spirit Rally or something at something Six Flags like and you had like but weren't we in the same weren't we in even though we were rival high schools, weren't we in the same district? Yeah. We were the goldfishes. Yeah, we were the goldfishes. Were you in leadership positions there? I yes, I I think I was. Okay. I I was I was um a uh what was I? I I all I know is I was impeached. <laughs> <laughs> I got voted in, and then I got kicked out of high school oh, no. for raving too much in for raving class. Too, much. <laughs> too many light shows. Too many light shows. I want to insert a picture of our light show. Okay, so <laughs> going back, Cindy, I love you so much, and um, I'm so grateful that you're here. But Aww. tell me a little bit about how you got to New York. Um, so, you know, I was born and raised in Southern California. Um, my parents are Vietnamese refugees and, um, they came to California after the war. So I was born in Orange County. That's where we met. And, um, for most of my childhood, I lived in Orange County and it wasn't until, um, I actually came out to New York initially to go to law school. And this was like in 2008. So um, I thought that was the path for me. Um, I had initially gone because I thought that that's what my mom wanted me to do, you know, coming from an Asian refugee immigrant family. I think a lot of other immigrant families can relate to, uh, you know, our parents' generation, they, want, they wanted us to you know, succeed. They wanted us to have easier life than them. And so a lot of immigrant families, they always want to, you know, push their children to pursue like quote unquote practical careers. Right. So, um, you know, I, I thought that like, if I couldn't be an artist, I could be an art lawyer. So I went to law school with the goal of becoming like an intellectual property lawyer to defend artists. Um, so when I was applying for schools, you know, I just went to the best one that I got into that gave me money and that happened to be here in New York. So um, I moved. I left California. It was about time for me to leave California during that period of my life as well. I was just feeling very stuck and feeling like um, I wanted to leave and grow somewhere else, yeah. you know, it, it, it was just feeling like I was feeling very static there. 
And so it was the perfect moment for me to leave, you know, leave for New York. And so I finished law school and then um, moved to the city. I had gone to law school up in Syracuse in upstate New York. And then I moved here to the city. And um, since then, like when I was trying to pers- I was trying to pursue law, but I was not having a good you know, t- t- like I wasn't having good luck finding a job because it was the recession and and it was really tough. Like life was really, really tough. Um, I was living with an ex of mine at the time. And so, you know, luckily I was able to stay here because yeah. of him and, and because of, um, you know, like living with him and he was supporting us at the time because I was struggling to find work. And, you know, a lot of things happened throughout those years. This was like in 2011, when Occupy Wall Street was happening and I started getting really involved in activism in New York and I was legal observing and I was defending um, people from the Occupy movement and I started shifting like my my life choices a lot. I started thinking about like what I really wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a hard time for me. It was really depressing. I was broke. I was broke oh, as fuck. God, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, it was, it was a really hard time in my life and I didn't know what to do. I felt worthless because I had gone through, you know, three years of law school, passed the bar exam. You know, I'm still a New York city barred attorney. Um, I, I, I went through all this and I felt like I didn't have anything to show for it. And so, you know, I started thinking about like, what, what made me happy again? What, what I, what did I do in my past life that just brought me like joy and fulfillment? And it was raving. Always, it was raving. <laughs> it was raving. It was raving. Yes. <laughs> it was raving Rock and Western doing live shows. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. So I became a uh, a full time raver. I'm just kidding. No, I did not become a full time raver. Um, I, I I just started uh, I started taking pictures. I was yeah. like I started thinking about like what was the last time I what was the last thing I did that like just made me feel happy and fulfilled and it was like, you know, taking pictures and I've always been a visual person. I always liked taking pictures. I always loved photography. And um, this was around the time um, that Michael Brown was killed and the Ferguson, you know, riots were happening and all the protests and New York was just erupting in protests. And it, 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 it felt like my opportunity to kind of take like my photo work to another level, right? And so um, I invested in a camera and I started documenting um, the protests I was going to and documenting all the of the Michael Brown protests. And from there, like I have a I have a account. It's called Activist, Activist NYC. Yeah. yeah. And uh, from there, my, my picture started, you know, getting recognition. It started, I started gaining a following. And then suddenly I started, um, you know, being contacted by organizations and people to, to do photography for them. And it just clicked in my head that like, this is what I was really meant to do. This is what I really want to do. I want to like, like take pictures and use my, my photography to inspire change. Yeah. Um, so, so from there I quit law I was like I can't like I can't be a lawyer anymore I never enjoyed it I it wasn't for me um 
and I started pursuing photography full time, and I've been doing that photography now for like eight years, and it's been a, it's always a struggle. I mean, especially being a freelancer in New York City, it is ho- so hard. I mean, the city is so expensive. It's it's tough here. Like everybody says, you know, that's what the saying goes here. It's like if you can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere because it's so tough here. Um, but over the last you know eight years of doing this, I've learn so much and I've gained so much momentum and you know the work that I'm doing is just continually getting recognition and uh, and it makes me feel like this is you know this is my real calling and I'm so much happier doing what I'm doing now and you know pivoting a career is always so scary and difficult and hard and you know I think like like we've known each other for so long so long so long for decades Yeah, for decades. And it's so funny to think about like how much your life can shift in in just like the time that we've known each other. You know, our lives have shifted so much and like the work that you're doing, too. You know, you've shifted um past like so many times i finally came well. out yeah <laughs> everyone knew already everyone knew already but did you know i do i knew you did okay actually th- eric lim knew remember well, eric yeah well eric was also closeted yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, oh God, calling no eric he lim knew out. because there was this moment i'll never forget it it was outside of my house at 601 kozat circle yeah you remember that house yes so we were outside of that. That's house. where I broke Spencer's mirror. Yeah, that's where you broke Spencer's mirror. <laughs> we were. I was Nordic track. I was learning at a Nordic track, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Nordic track, which I still have to send Spencer a mirror because I was supposed to. Um, but if you, if you, it's a dance move that you essentially look like you're Nordic tracking, and the goal was to learn how to turn because there was like a specific move to turn, and I was in his room practicing, and we would just bump trance, which also like. Kudos to your mom for like <laughs> dealing with the late night activities that we would come traipsing in at like four in the morning, oh my God. five in the morning, and like just we like snuck in. We, were we always we always snuck in. Yeah, and we, we would, always like, snuck crip, in. You know. <laughs> but then I ended up um, learning how to turn, and then I kicked his mirror, and it shattered. It shattered. <laughs> and that's when my bad luck started. <laughs> no, but I think about that all the time too, where I'm like, you know, I, you were my safe space. I, I think at a time where I was so um, closeted and so insecure. You're um, so young, too, I was though. so young, but you brought, you know, you always kind of brought adventure to my life. And I think Aww. that was the best part about our relationship is we would, I remember there was a period of time we were kind of going to the gym together a lot. Mm. And then we would then go, like, go home, get ready. And then we would go out to, like, pretty much every club we can find, a rave club we can find. And at one point, I think we were going out, like, two to three nights a oh week. Oh, my God. We were going so much. And, and then my first bride I met with you, Sue, who Sue. was my first bride. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I talk about her a lot because, you know, when I'm speaking now, I talk about, you know, how I met my first bride and it was at, it was at Techno Club. Oh, my and God. And you were there and, and Eric Lim was, was there. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's so wild, right? It's so crazy how everything kind of comes together. Yeah. But I kind of want to revisit something because you mentioned how you – when you first moved to New York, you you had your you lived with your ex boyfriend, and he kind of was somebody that at least let you live with him and, and kind of brought you here. Yeah, right. I th- and it kind of resonated with me because I realized that my ex boyfriend in LA, I have to be grateful for him regardless of the traumatic relationship that was. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be grateful because he did let me stay with him, and I was mm-hmm. able to find a job in LA yeah. staying with him. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of the part of the journey that we don't really. 
um, reflect on too much is like how all of those situations really do lead us to our goal. Oh, totally. Know? And maybe that's really what he was there for, just to place a <laughs> You know, I actually been thinking a lot about this, about how people sometimes enter our lives for certain purposes, yeah. for certain reasons. And, you know, when, you, when you've lived like, you know, 30-something years now, there's a lot of people that come in and out. There's the people that stick yeah. that you know will be around forever. And then there's the people that will come in and out. And my the ex that I lived with, we're actually still friends. Like, we actually still stayed in touch. We're still in touch and, like, we're still close friends. Um, but, like, you know, like other people in my life, I've definitely noticed how they served a purpose for the time being, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, but then, like, you grow and, like, you... Sh- you go different paths and that's okay. Yeah. And I'm trying to learn how to not take those like exits personally. Mm. You know what I mean? I do. I take it very personally. I know. It's hard not to, you know, it's hard not to take it personally because you said we were friends. Yeah, yeah, we friends. did all this together. I did so much for you. <laughs> I sacrificed everything for your ass. I picked your ass up. That's you. That's you to me. I picked your ass up in my in my Civic. Back in, do you remember that? Do you remember the car accident we got into? Oh my god! Oh my god! We we were leaving a rave, and she got rear-ended so aggressively. We both, and it was like a coupe. It was like a what kind of car was it? It was a Civic DX. Like a very, and it was stick, and you were always just like, you know, yeah. I was such a little rice you were, you were honestly like Yo, so that down. Is, that is such a fa- that is a fact that my friends here in New York are obsessed with. By the way, whenever I tell them like, "Oh yeah, I used to like drive like souped up Civics and stuff," they're like, "They're like minds are blown." They're like, "What?" Oh. Like they can't imagine me, you know, like yeah. driving stick no, shift, to, like my, racing was, down like the California you, highway. And so we were leaving a rave, and we got we got rear-ended so aggressively. Oh my god, so and aggressively. I remember <laughs> I remember oh hearing your voice. <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay, wait, but I want to revisit something. You okay. said that okay, so you said that Eric knew and so did he out me to you? He like he kinda did. He yeah. was just like he was like, you know Jason's gay, right? And I was like, okay. <laughs> and at the time were you did you process because I feel like at the time I still don't really understand even being gay. Yeah. Because it was still so like it was like, oh, it was like the yeah. you know, kiss of death. Yeah. You know, back then, because it, you know, we, I feel like it wasn't as socially acceptable as it is right now. Uh, for me, it was like, like nothing. Wow. It was like, it was like accepting that you have black hair. Yeah. yeah you yeah, know, yeah. like yeah. I had no thought process really at all about it. Like, because I just, I, I just thought of you as you. Yeah. But did you have queer relationships at the time? No. No. Was so, I your first gay friend? Yeah, you were my first oh gay my friend. Gosh. Yeah. Yes. Can I tell you something that yeah. like I've never actually like shared publicly? So um, I've been exploring my queerness lately, and I started like in therapy. I started like reflecting on like why I never felt like able to explore my queerness like back then when I was younger, and I had this traumatic incident that happened to me in middle school that I think was the reason why I spent so many years like suppressing this side of me. So um, in middle school, I had like a best friend. 
Um, her name was Michelle. And we were so close. And I think I fell in love with her. Um, but I didn't understand my feelings about it. Mm. Like, I didn't understand that I was in love with her. I was more like thinking like, oh, we're just really, really, really close friends. But I, I started feeling like all these like I started thinking about her and like having dreams about her and I was like this doesn't wow. feel like just friendship right or it feels like more and I wrote I wrote her a letter I wrote her a love letter I don't think I've ever told you this no. story I wrote her a at love letter at that time letter. or in therapy now no like at the time oh, uh-huh. uh, in middle school this is in middle wow. school I must have been like in 7th or 8th grade also writing a letter <laughs> at I know. that age is Commitment. It's commitment. It is. It's hard. This is before. I wrote you a letter. Yeah. <laughs> this was before, like, you know, like social media yeah, and yeah, like yeah. blogging or whatever. Yeah. Before, even before Zenga. Yeah. Remember Zenga? Zenga. God, it was even before Zenga. Like, this was like, you know, this is like, this is in the 90s. Yeah. And so um, I wrote her a love letter. And like, I, 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 I remember being so nervous giving it to her. And when I finally gave it to her, I, just, I, I was just like, I, I had to, I, you know, I was just like, I, I, I just had to like rip the bandaid off and I gave it to her. And then suddenly at school, like the next day, there's this very, very, I'll never forget her, this white girl named Vanessa. She approached me with Michelle like behind her and had my letter in her hand and started screaming was like slamming it in my face and being like what the fuck is this shit what the fuck is this disgusting shit and I was like is that my letter and she was like what is this what is this what is this this is this is awful how could you do this to her how could you do this to Michelle like this is disgusting and ripped the letter like literally ripped the letter in front of me like just just tore the letter up in pieces in front of me and then threw in my face and then just like walked away. And, and from then on, I, I felt like I was this gross, disgusting person for having feelings for someone who was like a woman. And, and I think I, I, that is then so on, traumatic. Yeah, it was really traumatic as someone who was like, you know, I must have been like, what, 13, 14 at the time or something. Like, that was super traumatic for me. And from then on, I like only dated cis guys. Wow. Like, I mean, for most of my life, I've only had cis relationships, like hetero cis relationships. And, and then I started to like unpacking, you know, a lot of what we were going through during that time, um, when being gay or being queer was not as accepted, Mm-mm. was not as open. Was, it wasn't not even not as accepted. It just it wasn't was like, talked it was, about. It wasn't talked about, but it also was like <clears throat> such a far like thing where if yeah. you are gay, like you, it's, it's. It's the world, is, your life is over. Yeah. But then it was so far removed from us because we didn't really have will and grace. We didn't have yeah. <clears throat> those things yet. So to everybody, it was very far off. Yes. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and you know, growing up, I have, a, I have a gay cousin who I knew was gay. Like, since we were young, I knew he was gay. And, like, and so, like, I, I think, like, for me, it was like, oh, there's 
other gay people out there. Yeah. You know, or there's other queer people out there. But because of that traumatic incident, like, I just never explored, you know, like, like trying to date other people that were not cis het men. And um, so for most of my life, that's what most of my relationships were. And and now it's like now I'm 39 years old and I'm single. <laughs> I'm single at 39 and um and I'm and, and I'm living in New York City, you know, like the the city of so many like LGBTQIA friendly folks. Like there's so many like it, it's so openly queer here. It's so like accepting here and like there's so much love and support here of the queer community. And I'm finally, for the first time in my life, I'm in a position where I'm like finally exploring my queerness. Yes. And and it's only been like a year. I've only been like trying to date like, you know, women and non-binary folks for the last year. And it's been, a, you know, it's been a lot of like, like a journey of self-reflection and like, you know, learning more about who I am and who what I want in my life and what I need, right? Um, so yeah, I mean like, but looking back on that time, I think like if it weren't for you, like you being like my first like gay friend, like my real first gay friend, you know, if it weren't for you and it weren't for like just knowing that like my cousin who was gay, uh, I think like, I mean, I don't know if I would be the person that I am today. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like. Back then, I knew that, like, okay, there's other people out there who were queer, but I suppressed it because of the traumatic incident. But at least knowing that, like, oh, I, like, there were people out there that were, like, like me or, you know, or queer or gay or, like, just there's people out there that, that exist. Yeah. That are, that, that are like this. Like, that gave me, I think, a deeper understanding of just, like, humans and people and you know and love right i mean it's so crazy because it was so traumatic for me to come out and i think even coming out to you (coughs) pardon me i'm also dying of congestion and coughing but i'm covid free um it I mean, it was a really troubling situation to come out at that time. And it took me a long time to come out. But I also remember distancing myself from (coughs) you and your brother and your cousin Koi, because I remember I was so scared of being alienated, Mm. you know, and it was and at that time, too, I think I didn't really give anyone the opportunity to even come in and like have a conversation with me about it. But I'm so happy that you get to explore your queerness because, you know, I think what better time than do that. And um, fuck Vanessa. Yeah, fuck Vanessa. What's her last name? Fuck this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) We actually have Michelle here. (laughs) Michelle. (laughs) Is this Jerry Springer? (laughs) Um, That is really traumatic though. I, I mean, I think that it's very traumatic and no wonder you didn't feel, you know, but we also came from Orange County, I think, too. Yes, where very conservative. And Asian, Asian, you know, immigrant yeah. families where yeah. it's definitely still not really talked about. Or- it's not. I'm, I have not <laughs> ever told my mom. Like, I don't tell my mom about about my sexual life, yeah. obviously. I mean, she's known about my ex-boyfriends and everything, and she's met a couple of them. But, like, I'm not telling her right now that I'm, like, queer dating. Yeah. No way. I don't think she would ever 
fully understand. Yeah. She doesn't understand me now. She doesn't even approve of me wanting to be a photographer full time. Yeah. You know, she she recognizes that I I have a skill and that I and that like I enjoy this and I love the work that I do. And she's starting to come around a little bit more only because of my like recent successes and features or exhibitions. You know, once I started like gaining like some recognition, she was like, oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, I accept this like a little bit more, you know, but she still always constantly is telling me like, when are you going to find a real job or when are you, you know, she still wants me to get like a nine to five office job, which I'm like, if you know, like who I am at all, mom, like you would know that that's not the life I want. That would literally kill me. I hate that. I hate the nine to five. I just, it's just not for me. I, I recognize that it's for other people. And that's great, but it's not for me. Yeah. I, I just don't thrive in that structure. And and as much as like it's so hard being a freelancer and it's a constant hustle, I love that hustle. Yeah. You know, like I I love I'm a people person. I love connecting with folks. I love connecting with my community. I mean, these this is the work that I truly, truly care about. And so my mom is still trying to accept me just being a photographer, let alone like if I came out to her as like queer, like I don't think she would get it. I yeah. think she would just be like, what are you talking about? Like, Well, this is a great time to mention your mom is here. <laughs> <laughs> I really am on the Jerry Springer show. Yeah. yeah. This is the Jerry um, <laughs> no, what, You know what's funny? It took me, I mean, I, I came out to my parents very late. I think I came out to them in 2017. And um, it, I realized that with maybe with parents that do not speak English fluently or are immigrants or whatever the, the terminology is, there is a distance that we'll always have because we can't really have the same kind of conversations like you and I can have yeah. at this time. Yeah. So I think it's very interesting, but it's, I mean, I think timing is everything. And I think when I came out to my parents, it was a uh, had to in that moment and it was so dramatic in my mind mm-hmm. and the lead up to it was so dramatic but then I did it and it was kind of the it was really for me too which yeah. I they've talked about before but it was really for me more so than than for them yeah. and I think that was the biggest healing moment for me but we're going to take a break okay and then we'll come back okay uh, would you like your commercial on the reality podcast please make sure to do it with me Oh, that's not good. Jason Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. Because you like said it in the same exact way. Please give me your money so I could advertise your business. Commercial. Here. Ad. Do 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 do. Okay. Welcome back to the second part of our in-depth interview with <laughs> Um We were talking on the break about how we both have siblings that can eat whatever they want. <laughs> not gain a pound. Not gain a pound. Yes. Jennifer. We're, we're talking about you, Spencer, Spencer and Jen. <laughs> DJ Spencer makes a flash. Um, yeah, so, okay, so... Kind of tell me, do you feel like, okay, we can, we also kind of were talking about how there's a difference between East Coast Asians and West Coast Asians. Yeah. <laughs> now that you've been living here long enough, what do you think the difference is? Um, it's funny because I think growing up in California at the time that we did, um, you know, all I feel like we were surrounded by the ABGs 
What's the ABG? Wait, you never heard that term? No. Like the um, the Asian baby girls. Oh yeah, like the like the, like the lowercase uppercase. Yeah. yeah. Typing. Yes, that, yes. that was my sister. Yes, that was the baby. The baby crew. The baby. Yes. And the photos. The Asian and the, baby like girls. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And one voice. Yes. And out here, it's like it's not a thing. ABG, like people are like, it's like a mystery. They've heard about the ABG. They've they've seen pictures of the ABG, okay, wait, so ca- ca- but it's I'm not. Still a thing. Kind of, wait, give me a breakdown of what's an ABG, Asian baby girl. What is that? I don't, I don't know. It's just a, it's a stereotype, obviously. Yeah. But you named it, you know, oh, like so, the okay, yeah, the the yeah. uppercase, lowercase, yeah, the the pictures, the kind of like pictures. the nineties, the nineties Asian girl, the name, the nineties Asian girl. Yeah. But I feel like that still exists in California today. Like that whole aesthetic of yeah. like the the ultra cutesy like you know like heavy makeup mm. like like that like very long straight hair look like the the outfits like the crop tops that's like a California oh, thing you know I the see. crop yeah, 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 tops yeah, yeah. with like the the flared like plants or whatever are we too bitter petty yes we are we're, we're so anti we're so anti. Um, you know, it's like that whole aesthetic of like the West Coast, like Asian yeah. baby girl. That doesn't really exist out here as much, actually. Do you feel like dating is easier or harder here? Oh, it, I don't know because I've never really dated that much in California. Yeah. I mean, dating is hard here. Dating is just hard here regardless. I think dating is just hard. You think the hustle is harder here than in, in yes. LA? Yes. Yes, it is really, much because it's already really hard over there. I know, but like and I want to be here. I want to be by coastal. I would love to be by coastal too. Yeah, we can swap. Oh yeah, like a house swap, swap moment. We gotta do a house swap. Moment. Okay, I'll be the yeah. <laughs> I'll be the Kate Winslet to your camera. DS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm not rich. So. I'm not either. <laughs> I'm not rich at all. Um, Um, I don't know. I thought about wanting to be by Coastal too, just because like in the winter months here, photography is very slow. Yeah. Why don't you buy a house here? (laughs) Okay. And then and then I'll rent a place in LA, (laughs) and then we can switch places. And we can switch. Yeah. Yeah. We'll call even Steven. Yeah. 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 Um. Okay. So, do you feel like you have a misconception? Like, do you feel like there's a misconception about you? that other people have about you that is not true or true? Huh. I don't know. That's a good question. I never thought about that, actually. A misconception about me? I guess, like, a a misconception about me is that because I am extroverted, um, you know, people think, like, that's, like, like how I am all the time mm-hmm. or what I want all the time. But actually, I think maybe it's because I'm getting older. But like in my older age, I, I definitely have um, really valued my introverted alone time. Yes, now. me too. I really need that. The We're actually piece. both very extroverted. Yeah. We're both people people like that's why we that's why we excel at what we do you know like like a big part of why i'm good at like my job and like you know i'm good at like taking pictures of people is because i know how to make them feel comfortable yeah with me which is such actually like i don't think people talk about enough in photography is like that is a huge aspect of taking pictures of people. Well, and it's a gift. It's a gift, it's too, a gift. that like yeah. a lot of people don't have. That's Anyone what a monetization take... should yes. be for, too. Yes. Is, is the magic that you bring to someone's day. Right. Because you do weddings now, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm now beginning to understand 
15 years later mm. that yes I'm amazing at design yes I'm great at planning but you're paying for my magic yes you're paying for the, the fact that I can be thrown into a situation mm-hmm. still land on my feet make your parents who are homophobic laugh <laughs> while servicing your grandmother on a yeah. golf cart yeah you know like and then you know keeping the catering staff happy like yeah that's my magic and yeah. I think with photography too I think it's so vital for photographers to have that kind of connection with our clients, but also yes. with us so that that day just feels even better. Yes. You know? It makes things go smoother, easier. But, you know, that requires being on. Yeah. You have to just be on. Like, the entire time that I am working, I just have to be on. Yes. So, like, by the time I'm done, I am drained. Yeah. I'm drained. I'm so tired. And I just, like, need to, like... Turn off. Turn off and yes. be alone. And I think people, like, have this misconception of me that, like, it's so easy for me to just be on all the time. Mm. But it's actually not. You know, it's well, actually yeah. hard. It's really hard. And But then that is that magic that I bring. You know, like a lot of people that know my work, that like follow what I do and like care about what I do, um, you know, they always, they, they, they you know, I had, I actually was at an event the, uh, the other night. Um, I do a lot of work in Chinatown. You know, a lot of my, my organizing and community activism work is in Chinatown. And I had a couple of people tell me, um, that I'm the next Corky Lee. And if you don't know who Corky Lee is, he's a historic um, Asian-American photographer who has been documenting um, the movement since like the 50s. Wow. He's been documenting the Asian-American movement for the, since the 50s, but he passed away last year from COVID. And it was a huge, huge blow to the community. And it was a huge loss. And, um, you know, with all the activism work I do now and all the community work I do now, um, you know, people say, like, people say these things that, like, oh, like, you're everywhere. I see you photographing everywhere. You're, like, the next Corky. I can never, ever, ever fill the shoes of Corky Lee. And and I can't agree with that statement that I'm the next Corky. I don't, I don't, I I know what people are trying to say, but I'm not, I can never fill his shoes because he spent... 50 something years documenting the Asian American community. I'm just barely starting in comparison to him. Yeah. But I like to think that I'm like continuing his legacy, right? And continuing, um, but you know, he, he wanted to pass down his work onto the next generation. And I'm kind of that next generation that, that is like, fulfilling like the legacy that he left behind. Um, but like hearing that, you know, hearing people like, like tell me I'm the next Corky Lee or whatever. <coughs> I I realize like like how much impact I can have. Yeah. And and having that impact, it's a lot of pressure too. Yeah. You know, it's like the pressure of it. Um so constantly having to like feel like I I have this weight, you know, like or constantly <coughs> feel, feeling like responsibility. I need to fill these shoes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that is a that is a hard weight on my shoulders, and I think people. 
people assume that it's easy for me. It's not. Yeah. It's not easy for me at all. And so I constantly am putting so much pressure on myself to be amazing, to like have to achieve all these things. I get really bad <coughs> imposter syndrome. Like I oh, constantly, yeah, me too. oh my God, my imposter syndrome can get so bad. because It's debilitating. Like, it's it's debilitating. debilitating. I'm always constantly feeling like I'm not good enough, yeah. that I can never be good enough that I'm never going to succeed that, you know, it just all, constantly, constantly being like, 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 what am I doing? Like, is this even worth, worth it? You know? Like, yeah, but we're so hungry to create and, you know, and be an activist and be yes. a representation that we didn't see in our, in our youth. youth right. Yeah. And I think that's such a great, that's a very interesting kind of perspective on it because, you know, the last time I was here, by the way, mm. I wasn't sober. And I'm sober since February. So I'm like fully sober. Mm. And I realized that for me, sobriety and this journey that I've been on, it's making me realize that I've been using different things to cope. Yeah. And my way of escaping from being the on Jason who make people laugh and mm -hmm. who's act, you know, be, being a voice for the, for, the, for the minorities in the wedding industry and like doing all these things that, again, I'm actively pursuing it yeah i'm actively wanting a tv show i'm actively doing a podcast in yeah. my airbnb in my room like, <laughs> like with your with your old friend <laughs> yeah i'm like trying to schedule things like and 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 every time i realize like oh no wonder i i ended up you know falling into addiction and finding yeah. different outlets of drugs yes. drinking yeah. food even food right now food you know, i'm so me. fluffy I'm extra fluffy. I'm okay. I'm fluffy too. It's okay. But I realized it's because I now took away drugs. I took away alcohol. Mm -hmm. And now and now I'm left with food mm -hmm. as a coping strategy. A coping, yeah. So when I'm escaping or when I'm at my like depleted level, right, after a big wedding or something, I now I'm looking to kind of escape. Yeah. And that's kind of what I've been processing too is yeah. I'm realizing it does take a lot out of me. It I does. don't have an unlimited well of energy. I don't either. And because I'm also bad with boundaries, because I have no I boundaries. And I, I and this is where I think where you and I where we were able to have the adventures that we had <laughs> because we had no boundaries. Yeah, we did not have boundaries. Yeah, but it was but and again I I think it's one of those things where I think there's that saying about how like you'll never regret in your in like as an old person you'll never regret that party that you went to or you'll never really regret that like saying yes to that night out because for us like i really had some amazing experiences oh totally you know and i'm so glad actually i was just talking to koi my cousin about hot. this <laughs> hot chef everyone hot everyone's chef. <laughs> We were just talking about this like the other night about how we're glad that we kind of got it out of our system when we were yeah. younger. Yeah. Because now in my 30s, I'm like, I, I, I don't have that energy. Everything hurts. Everything, Everything hurts. hurts. I, I've got injuries. My, my, like, my back always hurts. My neck always hurts. My knee always hurts. My ankle always hurts. Like I'm always like hurting. And <laughs> I'm like, I just don't. You also Nordic tracking in the middle of a dance floor with your two pigtails. <laughs> We were we, we were out and about. We were out and about, but yeah. like we were, we always like me and Koi love reminiscing about those times. Uh, we were going out like three four times a week. Like yes, that. this is insane. Yes. Like we were you, out till three four in the morning. Your, like, your t shirts sleeve. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah I did. I still yeah. do that. I yeah, still <laughs> and you used to wear short shorts, and then you would just be like 
I mean, we and we went out to dance. Like we let's were to be dancing clear, like, hard. We were not. We were not into the drugs right away. We, <laughs> we we went out like for a while sober, and being like, you know, the oh, we don't need like plur, peace, love, unity, respect. <laughs> And then we're like, oh, ecstasy. Oh, oh, oh. ecstasy will keep me up later (laughs) so I can dance more? Let's do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, cut to all of our precious moment eyes. Yes. You know, all of our Japanese anime (laughs) eyes twinkling. Um, oh my with god. Vicks all over. Vicks, oh my god, so Vicks. There's that photo. Oh my god, we were, I was just showing Koi. There's that photo where like his mouth oh, is just wide open. He's, and he's so holding excited. a Vicks in his hand, yeah, and his I whole mean, face is just glossy from the Vicks. And I am, I am actually really glad that we got that out of our system because yes. I think we had so many adventures. But I mean, again, through my sobriety now, like I obviously found other pockets of drugs and yes, other yeah. other communities that mm-hmm. were were not the best but kind of going back to what you're saying I, I do think that there's a magic about people like us that move within spaces and bring light to darker situations and mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the beauty of this conversation I wanted to have is that I realize more and more we all kind of have so much more in common with each other, mm-hmm. regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of where we live, regardless of what we do. We all kind of are floating throughout this world the same way, you know, yeah. traumatized, tired, traumatized, but and still tired. wanting to do something greater, yes. you know, and I think that's what makes you an artist, right? Oh, thank you. You're an artist. Yeah. And I think that's maybe where they talk about like all of, you know, like from Edgar Allan Poe to whomever, like all of these like deep, dark darknesses that come with being an artist Mm -hmm. but i think that's kind of what we do so now we're trying to figure out okay well how do we continue spreading our magic without depleting ourselves yeah and that's hard and it's it's a a lot of work and you know this is what i think about a lot too is whenever i think about legacy um there's this fucking subway ad in new york that's so ridiculous to me um there's a subway ad that like basically is a picture of like this father holding a child and over the picture says what will your legacy look like and and a lot i think for a lot of people and that's totally fine because i i love my friends and my family who have kids i love that they have kids and i'm so happy that they love that they have kids and you know having a family is is the most important thing to them and i'm so happy for them but it's never been something I wanted. Yeah. It's never been something I thought about. For me, my legacy is my work. Yeah, I want my work to be remembered. I want like all my activism work and the protest photography and all those images I've captured of our movements. I want that work to be remembered 50 years from now, just like how we look back at the civil rights movement and we look at the pictures from the civil rights movement. I want people 50 years from now to look at what we were going through in mm. this country the last like especially the these last like few years yeah you know during the trump administration that's kind of when i started waking up to it during i was super late to the conversation yeah yeah like yeah. during like black lives matter during stop <clears throat> asian hate like all of these massive movements that have been happening the last few years um you know these are moments in our history that we will remember forever <coughs> And and so my legacy that I want to leave behind is is my work is you know these the the 
the cat like me capturing these yeah. these moments in our history and us remembering that so that we can continue to learn and continue to grow and continue to evolve you know like as in our fight right in yeah. our fight for change in our fight for our liberation <coughs> um so so yeah it's like a lot of like what i've been thinking about is legacy yeah you know that's a really interesting because i do i share that legacy goal with you where i want it to mean something mm-hmm. that i was here you yeah. know and at the same time i really do believe that joy is something that i want to bring yes but i didn't realize how broken i was mm-hmm. while i was still operating from a place of giving joy to everyone else mm-hmm. and so you know, do you have any tips or things that you do now that give you peace? Like after a crazy, you know, day of shooting or something, what is it that brings you peace? Oh, the biggest peace <coughs> lately for me has been, I finally, um, you know, I'm proud of myself because this is a big New York achievement and milestone is that I finally got my own one bedroom apartment yes. in New York, which is so hard. I mean, yeah. as a struggling artist for the last, like for the first years that I've been doing this, like, you know, I had to live in like rooms with roommates, awful, oh my gosh, awful the, the, yeah, roommates. Yeah, I remember you telling me some of the terrible stories. Oh my stories. God, awful, awful roommates and just like struggling so much to like, you know, pay rent and like, you know, and and just like make things happen for me, you know? And, and so I finally reached a moment, like finally in my life that where I can just have my own place. And, Uh, and that is such a huge accomplishment for me. And ever since then, it's been my sanctuary. Like every time I have like a really long, hard day, especially like photographing all day or like, you know, photographing like a hard hard event like hard job like a big event or something i the best thing for me is to just like go home and turn on some music like meditate you know just sit on my couch fire up my projector watch some netflix or something you know just like just unwind yeah and, and have this like peaceful safe space now it's my sanctuary Mm. like no like crappy people like you know like making noise no shitty like roommate like like you know complaining or whining or whatever like i don't know or just like messing up the place like like just my own sanctuary that has been a huge godsend for me and you know, honestly, like I, we've talked about our, um, our, uh, you know, our vices, um, and, and food is a vice of mine. But it's also so much of a comfort for me. Like, yeah. you know, like honestly, like when being a photographer is a very physical job, and so when I'm constantly moving, you know, if I'm shooting something where I'm constantly, especially weddings. Right. If I'm constantly moving, I'm constantly like, like active, like I just I love a good comfort meal. Yeah. After after a long day of shooting. Yeah. It's just like it feels so good to just like sit, just just sit in one place for a while and just like eat like a really, really hot bowl of noodles or something, you know, like comfort food. Like that is that is my ultimate like like unwinding moment. Yeah. I just love that. Yeah. So what is your, in New York, what would you say is your favorite 
Like, what's your big ba- like favorite food right now? Like, what are you what do you just can't get enough of? Ugh, I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a fanatic for noodles. Everybody yes. knows this. I love noodles. I I'm I, ramen ramen and pho are like my nudes. top two nudes. Yeah. yeah, I just like I don't know. There's something about a big hot bowl of steaming noodles especially right now when the weather is like <laughs> a big, like, big hot, hot bowl, bowl of steaming <laughs> noodles i know how right? am i single how how, how am i single <laughs> where where is a good place to get a hot bowl of I mean, there's so many places. I mean, New York, I, I, you know, I'm, because I do a lot of work in Chinatown, I'm usually always in Chinatown. So, you know, for me, it's like being in Chinatown. Yeah. Like, I, I, there's so many options there. Yeah. Um, you know, Kitchen Go Oot is like my favorite Vietnamese spot in Chinatown. That's where I usually like to get pho. Um, I have a number of ramen places that I love. I love Ichiran. I love um, Chuko Ramen out in Brooklyn. Um, I love Ramen Ya in West Village. I love Toto. I love Eep, like I love um, uh, Hida Chan in Midtown. Like there's so many good ramen spots um, in New York. So uh, ramen is always a good comfort food. And, you know, in in Chinatown, too, there's, like, a lot of, like, wonton, like, there's this wonton noodle soup Mm. spot that I love. Um, Yeah, it's just, like, there's so many good options in New York for food, which is, like, why I love it here so much. And it's just, like, like, I think L.A. is the same, you know? L.A. and New York is just, like, like melting pots of so many different, like, cultures. And you could get, like, food from so many different like cultures here which i love like i don't think there's any other place like i can't live in a city where i can't access like like a multitude of different cuisines at any time that i want like i think i definitely need to always be living in a place where i can like get like tacos on one block and like ramen on the other block Mm. you know um i think la also has like the best food i mean so much good asian food in la too and also good mexican food and like so many cultures there as well and so yeah it's just like being in a city with like all these different immigrant communities um that bring like so much immigrant food you know i I, that's something that i i value so much in the city that i live in um so new york is one of the best places honestly for for finding my comfort foods i love that you know Yeah. yeah so what's what's next for you like what is what is the big goal for you right now? Like, what's you? What are you looking forward to? So, um, some big things I've got going on. Um, I'm getting published uh, this fall by Aperture. It's a huge oh photo publication. Yeah. Yes, and um, the book is all about the the Black trans liberation movement here in New York the last couple of years. Um, so that is coming out, and in the process of that book coming out. I've been talking to a producer um, who has been following my work. Um, he's seen me out at protests, and he's been following my Activist NYC account for a while. And he reached out and was like, I really want to produce like 
your own book mm. and i was like wait what and um i mean that's i think that's like the goal of a lot of photographers or a lot of artists you know to have like your own artist book or yeah. your own photo book and so we got to brainstorming and talking and um you know it's 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 all very much like in like the beginning phase right now but um i thought about how there is no other current like photo book documenting the Asian American movement. Mm. And, you know, as Asian Americans, we've gone through some significant moments in our communities um, the last couple of years with the pandemic, with all the anti-Asian racism and violence and hate that's been going around, not just in America, but around the world, you know, um, us being blamed for COVID, even though, like, obviously it is not our fault yeah um and and i think it 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 really brought a moment of reckoning to the asian american community and that's when we saw you know stop asian hate and all the protests that were happening like last year and i was i was documenting pretty much every single protest last year um coming out of the stop asian hate movement and so um we talked about making a book of my photos from the stop asian hate movement and leading into my photos also of like my um community activism work in chinatown and showing like my photos showing the community coming together um you know building with one another and supporting one another during these dark difficult times so that's a project i hope to work on in the next year i mean making a book is hard um but it's something that I want to work on the next year. Um, other things that I definitely um, been thinking more about is, yeah, just overall, like, like expanding, you know, expanding my 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 body of yeah. work. Um, that includes like thinking about other projects I want to do. Like I did. Also, over the pandemic, I did a project um, about Asian American like women and femmes who shared their stories of being uh, harassed or sexually assaulted, and this was born out of the um, at, like after the Atlanta shooting uh -huh. when like all those a Asian women were murdered by that white guy, um, and it sparked conversations about like oh like racism and sexism and misogyny and patriarchy against Asian women and. And um, you know, the stereotype that Asian women are uh, submissive or kinky or like concubines yeah. or, um, you know, and so like that, that project really fueled me to like think about like, okay, doing more work centering my Asian identity as well, as long as my queer identity. Um, so something else I, I'm currently working on is um, uh, doing a, a book uh, well, like a booklet and working with some Vietnamese folks, some two other really amazing queer Vietnamese women and femmes. Um, we're doing a dinner series where we bring together like Vietnamese folks and we just come 
you know, we're just like hanging out, t- having dinner with one another, connecting with one another. Um, but every uh, every dinner has um, someone who cooks a different signature dish. And so in that signature dish, like we tell the story of why this person chose this dish, why it's why it means so much to them, why it's their favorite dish. And we're going to make like a little recipe book out of it. Love but it's that. not just going to be like a cookbook. It's going to be like a storybook yeah. too. It's going to be like a hybrid of like storytelling and recipe book. Um, and I think like as people who come from like Asian culture, like our food is so important mm-hmm. to our culture, mm-hmm. you know, and like growing up, like, like sitting around the dinner table with our family, that was like, that's such a pinnacle, like, like moment for every Asian family. Yeah. Like every day sitting around a dinner table and like sharing a that meal. Same with bowl one of rice. Yep. Every day. day. You know, like, like that is, but that that's how we bonded as yeah. family. Yeah. And like, that's how I like to bond with my friends now. Yeah. My chosen family. Yeah. You know, same. my chosen family now, like, like the way I like to bond with them is like having a meal together and sharing with one another um so that's another thing i'm working on like i just like a lot of different a lot of different projects that i have on my mind lately yeah um but you know uh my photography is always first and foremost about my community about my about the activism work that i do the social justice work that i do like i like that's what i care about the most but you know obviously like i gotta make a living (laughs) and um and 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 being a a full-time photographer now is hard and trying to make money from it is really hard so it's also trying to uh, trying to balance like like picking up work that like like pays me too so i am i have been doing more wedding uh, work um especially the last two years that's great and especially this year because you know as you know weddings are like a uh, non-stop a uh, non-stop, non-stop this non-stop. year like um, all the weddings that were postponed you yeah. know last two years are now happening this year that's yeah. amazing and i love all these projects you have coming i mean honestly i think that's why i was so excited to have the conversation with you because you've been a part of my community for a very long time but i love the work that you're doing and oh, i'm so proud you. of you and yeah um, you know, and I, I just, I'm super grateful that you were such a light to me at a time that I really needed that kind of support. And you, you were my to light me. too. Yeah. We so. were like each other's light. Yeah. Oh, oh little, <laughs> we were each other's glow stick. <laughs> okay. Well, you can check out oh all of um, Cindy's amazing work. I'm going to put the links in the bios and the links Thank below. You. Um, and I'll maybe I'll throw in a little raver photo just so that everyone really <laughs> yes. gets really understand to the really in depth, yeah, of what we were doing, and we were way ahead of our times. This is before EDM was big. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I love you. Thank you for having me. All really right. appreciate it. Love ya. Yeah, love Bye. you too. Bye. Ooh, wait. Don't go yet. Make sure you subscribe and like and follow and transfer me via Venmo. Thanks for listening.